Welcome into the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Irving, alongside Scott Rafferty and Gil McGregor, who's sitting in the passenger seat for once today, looking to hear some hot takes flying around out of his mouth now that he's not uh, all buttoned up in the host chair. But we have plenty <laughs> to talk about today. We uh, haven't been back on the podcast since the greatest Raptor of all time, Kyle Lowry, is no longer a Raptor. So, of course, we're going to talk about him and his time with the Toronto Raptors and what that deal means for the Raptors, where that leaves the franchise and where that leaves the Miami Heat and Kyle Lowry in his next endeavor, along with some other talk about free agency, summer league. But before we get going, Scott, Gil, how are we doing today, guys? We're doing well. Uh, at least I'm doing well. I can't speak for you, Gil. But uh, it's it's been a little bit quiet. So it feels like the NBA was just nonstop for like 18 months with back-to-back seasons, with such a show-off season, the Olympics, free agency draft, just it's nice to have a little bit of downtime. So I'm making the most out of it right now. Well, if I'm okay with anybody speaking for me, it's you, Scott. And I, I am doing well. Like you said, we're, we're uh, kind of taking a deep breath after a busy season. The offseason has been kind of busy, too, with the Olympics, if you want to call that an offseason. But uh, good to talk Raptors and, and spin things forward to the next season, which is going to be here before we know it. It is going to be here before we know it. But I first off, I do have to agree with you guys. It really does feel like after two seasons that were almost combined as one season, yeah. Uh, with, you know, all these key dates and temple events just lined up on top of each other between the draft and free agency being back to back and the Olympics were going on and all this stuff. It feels like, you know, we finally have some time to breathe and digest everything that's going on. And that's what we're here to do for you guys today on the pod. So I guess without further ado, there's no better place to start in the top. And that is discussing Kyle Lowry, who is no longer a Toronto Raptor, uh, traded via sign and trade in free agency to the Miami Heat. The writing was kind of on the wall. We sort of saw it coming. Even the return for Kyle Lowry, it, that kind of got leaked out. The contracts, it, it all lined up nicely with Goran Dragic and Precious Atua. So, I mean, right away, I guess we'll start with you, Scott. How do you feel about uh, Kyle Lowry's departure from the Raptors? And then we can talk about the guys they got in return after that. I mean, as you said, the writing was kind of on the wall. Like, it, it seemed like he was just going to be traded at last season's trade deadline. Um, and seeing that report, I can't remember who it was. Maybe Woj, maybe it was Shams saying that the Raptors are going to keep him. I think that caught everyone by surprise, including Lowry, um, who, if I remember correctly, the game before trade deadline talked to the media for what felt like an hour um, as like one last hurrah. So I think he was surprised as well. Um, in terms of what they got back in return, like you said, that seemed like it was being reported all along. Prestige Chua is someone, it seems like Masai Ujiri and this franchise has had their eye on um, for a while. He was a rookie last year. Um, well, I'm sure we'll get into him. Goran Dragic is someone I've also mentioned previously as a potential target for the Raptors um, going back to last year in free agency because I think he had a player option in his contract. So again, I'm not surprised by that. I'm sure we'll talk more about him, but um, I, it feels like, you know, the Raptors probably could have done better in getting something in return for Lowry, considering sure he's in his mid thirties at this point, but he's still one of the better point guards in the NBA and he's a, a franchise icon. Um, but it, it does seem at least they got something in return for him because the other option was him just walking for nothing. So, go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing. You know, something is better than nothing for sure. Um, you knew the writing was on the wall. It was very weird. I feel like you and I talked about this, Kyle, way back in March when there was this, you know, this, this, all this fanfare surrounding, oh, this could be Kyle Lowry's last time suiting up. And like he spoke to the media for a long time, like you said, Scott. And then I was like, wouldn't it be weird if it's just like one of those things where you spend a long time saying goodbye to somebody and you just like walk in the same direction with them? And that's exactly, that's exactly what it was. Like Kyle Lowry's giving peace signs to the camera and this and that. Um, and then I guess it gave, it made more of like a, a, a longer wind up for, for the buildup, I guess, for him eventually moving on just because. 
he said it. He wants to compete for another NBA title. And the Raptors aren't necessarily rebuilding all the way like a Thunder or a Magic, but the Raptors aren't a title team right now. And it makes sense that Kyle Lowry was going to move on. Um, we obviously will get more into uh, the the return and everything like that. But I think giving him the freedom to kind of do what he wanted to do as a free agent was what was owed to him as unquestionably the greatest Raptor of all time. What he did with the franchise for, for from 2012 to 2021, you know, nine years with the franchise, winning a title, all NBA, six all-star appearances, all those things go into it. And I think um, that shows that he and the front office are working together because I feel like if, if he wanted to absolutely be moved to the deadline, they probably would have maybe, I think, I think they would have listened to what he wanted to do and then and maybe just taken a little bit of a less return, which might've been better than what they actually got. Uh, but I think he was okay with them holding on to him. And honestly, we'll always have that lasting memory of him going off on the Lakers and then making them pay for not, uh, you know, shelling out for, for the cash to, to uh, trade for the deadline. It's it's funny to think like that game seemed like it was not that close to the end of the season. So it's pretty wild that that was the last opportunity that we got to see Lowry in a Raptors jersey. Like, I don't know exactly how many games were left in the season after that game, but it just felt like there was so many games left after that. And, you know, maybe I would see Lowry one more time. And obviously it's unfortunate that, you know, he didn't get to play his last season in Toronto. But, you know, like you said, it kind of sounds like it was a, a mutual uh, break up here like just this is the best direction for him to go and you know they're going to try and get him to somewhere where he wants to be and that's going to also in turn you know work something out for the Raptors to at least get something in return for uh, you know the best player in franchise history and they've already talked one about thing, go ahead go ahead I was gonna say one thing about that game I'll never forget it was on my birthday so I'll never forget that Kyle Lowry's performance was May 2nd so all you fans listening next year when you celebrate the one-year anniversary of Kyle Lowry going off on the <laughs> Lakers wish me a happy birthday too just throwing it out there <laughs> I don't know if I should say happy early birthday or happy belated birthday, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it seems like, I mean, the right, the writing, like we said, the writing was on the wall, but it was a mutual breakup and it seemed like, you know, everything kind of worked out nicely. And Masai's already talked about how he's going to get, you know, all his flowers that he deserves and, you know, Jersey retirement and a statue. And I guess that, that kind of bodes the question. What do you guys think the statue looks like outside of Scotiabank arena? Is it actually Kyle Lowry just having like LeBron James tumble into him for a charge? Is it him with his hands up in the air complaining about a call? Like, what is the signature Kyle Lowry statue going to look like outside of Scotiabank Arena? Uh, the charge was the first thing that came to mind for me. Um, alternatively, I don't know if we can do the, the pass that he had to OG Ananobi in that series against the Celtics. I don't know if that would look good in statue form. I didn't think yeah. um, that's that would be nice, though. Yeah, other than that, it's like it's got to be like the pull up three in transition, right? Like uh, his signature pull up. Th those are the three that came to mind when I uh, was thinking about a statue for him. Align with that pass to OG, I think him holding Giannis so Kawhi could dunk on him. That's a pretty good one, too. It might, it might, it might, it might involve a, a, a few more uh, pieces of bronze to put that together. That's a good one. And then I, the one I like actually from that series, too, is the iconic picture of him, like, kind of like super giddy, smiling when he knew that he was going to the finals the first time in his career. Like, I actually really could see them, them doing that. And it also has like an element of just kind of innocence. And, and it, it's really like, all of those things kind of sum up Kyle Lowry and what he is to the Raptors and, and his time. And I think of all those images when you think about his best moments with the team. Sounds like you might need a series of statues, like a <laughs> yeah, play, yeah. an offensive play, him getting excited. Um, but I mean, with that being said, do you feel like, so his new destination in Miami with the heat, do you guys feel like he's still the type of player that elevates you from, I mean, the Miami Heat were in the NBA finals two years ago. They had a little bit of a letdown last year. They dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, I, I would say more so than most of the teams in the NBA. It felt like, uh, do you feel like he's still the type of player that elevates a team from 
you know, just kind of being another middle of the pack team in the Eastern Conference to getting back to the, potentially the NBA Finals and a title contender? I think the crazy thing about you saying how long ago the, the Heat were in the finals, like we talk about this being like two seasons in one, like when he shows up to training camp with the Heat, they will be less than a calendar year removed from playing in the finals. It's crazy to think about it like that, right? Yeah. Um, and, You know, and, and we saw that with them and the, the Lakers last year, the teams who went really far, had short off seasons, were eliminated early. And I don't think there was a coincidence with that. Um, He fits the, the Heat, you know, what they're all about, the Heat culture, that hard nose um, grime. You know, he still has a lot left in the tank, I feel like. Um, and, and him having a big three with Bam and Jimmy Butler, I think those are three guys who are still all playing at an all-star level. I don't know if Kyle Lowry has any more all-star selections left for him, but he's playing at an all-star level still. Um, I, I think it's interesting, you know, we, we talk a lot about the Lakers being old. I think the Heat are kind of old, too. Obviously, Udonis Haslam brings up the average age on the team, uh, but Jimmy Butler is a guy who just signed an extension, but he's not as young as he once was. We know Kyle Lowry isn't that young. They signed P.J. Tucker, Markeith Morris. All these guys are north of 30. So I know health is going to be a big thing with them. But that being said, they have a very talented roster. You know, maybe you see a guy like Tyler Hero kind of bounce back after kind of having a little bit of a letdown this past year. So looking at them being, I think they were, what, sixth in the East this past year. I certainly think they jumped back into the top four in the Eastern Conference. Um, but the East is tough now. You know, the, the Nets and the Bucks are the defending champs. You have to show some respect to them as well. Um, I, I don't know if I can see the heat, that, that Kyle Lowry acquisition, putting them over those teams. But they definitely won't get swept in the first round. Yeah, I, I think they're banking on Tyler Hero being better than he was last year. And I think Duncan Robinson isn't exactly young, but development-wise, like the, yeah. how long he's been in the NBA, he's young. I think he can still improve. And also Bam, right? Like Bam is already a top 20, 25 player in the league. I think you could argue that he's already a top three defender, arguably. I, I, he could arguably be the best defender in the league in a couple of years' time for mm -hmm. we know. Like he's that good. And then offensively, he improves every single year. He's already a good passer. He improved a little bit as a jump shooter last year. We know he's a big lob threat around the basket. I think if he makes the jump, Tyler Hero improves a little bit. Duncan Robinson maybe gets a little bit better. That could make up for Kyle Lowry maybe not being, you know, a point guard or whatever you want to call him <laughs> again. But I, I do like Gilly, like you. I, I do think he's going to fit in really well on both ends of the court. It's interesting we, not to turn this into like a Lakers or Russell Westbrook talk, but like their big three, Russell Westbrook, LeBron, and Anthony Davis, like you cannot deny the star power on that, but they don't just like fit seamlessly together. Right. Whereas I do think like Lowry, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo don't have like the same top end talent, but I just think they complement each other so well on both ends of the court. Like Lowry is, is kind of going to fill like the Goran Dragic role defensively, like a spot up shooter, a guy who can run off screens here and there, secondary ball handler. Um, he's going to give them a better pass, the guy who moves the balls off the ball offensively. I think they really need that. Um, especially after how they kind of bowed out last year against the Bucks, And defensively, I mean, this team was already tough. And Larry is one of the best defensive guards in the league, draws charges at an absurd rate, um, can defend multiple positions. He's, you're not worried about him defending a power forward in the pinch, things like that. So I, I just think this team is going to be nasty on both ends of the court. Um, like Gil, I, I don't think, I think it's pretty clear, like the Bucks and the Nets are in a tier on their own right now in the Eastern Conference. Um, I'd probably put the Heat third. And, I mean, we saw what happened in 2019, right? Like, as long as you're all that good and in that position, if things break right for you, like, you can make a run to the finals. So I, I think there is definitely a path to making that kind of run and potentially winning it all. Um, I also don't want to forget about Philly here because it, yeah, it, <laughs> it is funny. I feel like every time I hear people have these conversations, like, we forget Philly is the number one seed in these comments last year. Yes, they're a flawed team. Yes, we have to wait and see what Ben Simmons does and what happens with him. 
They still have Joel Embiid, who runner-up in MVP, absolute monster, um, health pending, obviously, as long as he can stay healthy. And they've got some uh, good pieces around him and obviously the Atlanta Hawks as well and, and things like that. We don't need to go through the whole Eastern Conference, but <laughs> I, I, I do think I'd probably pencil in the Heat at number three right now with, uh, with a puncher's chance of, of making a deep run. With last thing on the heat before we before we talk a little more about the, the return like naming these guys like bam jimmy kyle lowry pj tucker they're gonna be annoying as hell to play yeah. against in the playoffs like and like it's gonna like hurt to come off screens and like it's gonna be a battle so that's the one thing i think they have going for them especially i mean markeith morris is another one of those guys like again hard nose they're gonna it's gonna be annoying like we've talked about this before because when the heat almost played the raptors in the series in the playoffs in, in 2020 like man a lot of people are gonna be sore a lot of people are going to be sore when they play against the Heat yeah. in the playoffs or in the regular season, whatever it is. So uh, I, that's a big prediction that we definitely can count on happening. I think one of the biggest things, and Scott, this is kind of what you said when you were talking about Westbrook's fit with the Lakers and how Lowry fits in with the Heat. There's a lot of overlap between Raptors culture and Heat culture. Uh, it's yeah. a lot of team basketball, a lot of, you know, scrappy, just to focus on the defensive end. And I feel like that's what really sets apart Lowry and why this trade made so much sense and why this destination made so much sense for him. So I agree with you guys on all of those things. And I do feel like, you know, they are that third team, you know, again, don't want to forget Philly. Who knows what that roster even looks like come opening night. Maybe Ben Simmons is traded. Maybe he's not, but it feels like it is, you know, bucks nets. And then the heat kind of in a tier of their own with a question mark next to Philly. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out in the Eastern conference, which is getting better by the day, it seems like. Um, but I mean, before we, you know, start talking about the Miami heat too much and turn this into a heat podcast, just cause Kyle Lowry left, let's bring things back to Toronto. Let's things bring things back to the Raptors. So, I mean, the return Goran Dragic and precious Achuya, it just seems like, you know, maybe the Raptors could have gotten a little bit more if they traded him at the deadline, like you guys had already mentioned, it seems like, you know, those aren't two guys that all of a sudden you're going to slot into your starting lineup the way that, you know, after you just lost the starting point guard. So how do you guys feel about the return? How do you feel about the fit of those two guys? Is Goran Dragic even going to be on the team come opening night? It just seems like there's a lot of questions surrounding that. So what, what do you guys feel about that? I, I feel like I feel like Dragic will be able to replace not definitely not all of what Larry brought, but some of it. Like he, he's going to be able to fill that another role next to Fred Van Vliet is like a, a secondary ball handler, um, as I said you know, a, a good three-point shooter off the catch, can play make a little bit, get downhill. I think offensively he does fill a need for this team. Um, obviously, that's assuming that he's still on this team, um, which is a big question mark because he only has one year remaining. This is his last year on his contract. Um, you know, I, I know there's been talks of the Dallas Mavericks being interested in him because of his connection to Luka Doncic. Also, they they need another ball handler, so that makes sense. But there's also been some reporting that, you know, they're just assuming he's going to get bought out at some point, so why trade for him? So really, who knows? But I do think if he's still on the roster, uh, I, I do think he kind of does fill an important role for this team, which I think, you know, the Raptors haven't been a great offensive team in the last couple of years, especially in the half court. So having someone like him, a vet who's, you know, started, come off the bench, one-time All-Star, kind of filled a number of roles in his career. I think that he's going to fit in pretty well. Um, Precious Achua is definitely more of a project. Um, Kyle, I'm sure you can speak more about him because I'm sure you knew a lot more about him coming to the NBA than certainly I did. But in what I did see of him last year, I mean, he's undeniably an incredible athlete, a guy who can play above the rim, which is something the Raptors did not have before Ken Burch last year. He's going to be able to rim run. Um, it's going to be fun, like imagining a lineup of like Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, um, and Achua. Like they're just going to run up and down the court, fill in the, uh, fill in the lanes, um, super athletic, super fast. The question with him is like, is he going to develop a jump shot? I think that's going to be the big thing for him. Um, 
because defensively as well, like he, he fits like a glove defensively in what they're doing. Like th- this team, every single player they've drafted over the last three or four years, it feels like it's like six foot eight, super long, can defend basically every single position. Um, and we'll see how it all plays out. But Precious Chua definitely ticks that box. And I think, you know, that's obviously something that the Raptors were drawn to. So could the Raptors have gotten back, gotten back more for Lowry? I think absolutely. But kind of like you were saying, Gil, this seemed like a, Larry wanted to go to Miami Heat. We're going to make it work. Um, and at least the Heat gets something back in Precious Achua, who I think they kind of see in their long-term plan. So, yeah, it could have been better, but I, I'm still excited to kind of see how those two kind of plug and, plug and play uh, next season and beyond. Right. And Masai Ujiri in his most recent press conference, his first time speaking in a long time after um, signing with the franchise for a long time, which is another big piece of news has happened. But one thing that he said um, was just that when he ran into Precious Chua, you know, he had the words like, you're mine now. Like he's been knowing Precious Chua since the Giants of Africa. So their relationship goes uh, back a, a long way. Um, so it's kind of funny to think that like Goran Dragic is like, the throw in to make the trade work. But in reality, Precious Chachua is on, you know, he's on, he's on a rookie, rookie scale deal. So I think it's really all about him. Obviously it's, it's easy to forget about Dragic. Obviously he had his comments about not necessarily wanting to be with the Raptors and things of that nature, which might've soured Raptors fans on them and understandably so, but I, I realize you know, he's, he's a professional. He's been in the league for a long time. He's going to show up when it's time to show up. And this is a veteran who we talked about that heat finals team. He was a big part of why they were so good in those playoffs and they struggled when he got hurt in the finals. So when I look at what he brings to the table, I could see, you know, we, we've seen it in the past. I'm not comparing him necessarily to Chris Paul, but a Chris Paul type of situation where if he comes in, shows up to work and just does what he's capable of doing, he can play back into being a, a trade piece. And teams will be like, man, this guy has value. He's keeping the Raptors afloat in the play in race. It's like we need to trade for this guy or whatever um, if we want to you know, compete this year. So I, I really do kind of see a circumstance in which Dragic just plays very well, plays out of the situation if, and understands that in order to get traded, because I think he wants to play somewhere else, he needs to play up his value some. So I think he's going to bring something to the team as a veteran that's capable of doing a lot of things. But again, with Achua, it's, it's a long-term thing. We saw some of it in the summer league, his athleticism, he's versatile, um, and he fits everything that the Raptors are, you know, his, his defensive capabilities, everything that you, you kind of outlined, Scott. So it's exciting to see him also grow alongside the rest of the guys in his locker room who he's on a similar developmental timeline with. And I think that's the thing when you talk about these guys who are so young, it's important to point out that like these guys are one and done. They were like all Americans. They were highly ranked in high school. So there's a reason that these guys have this type of potential. And as evidenced by what Masai Ujiri said, franchises have been you know tracking these guys since their high school days. So it's very likely that Precious Chachua is a guy who the Raptors have had their sights on for years and now they're able to to kind of bring him in and, and really mold them into like what they want him to be i think one thing that really excites me about Achua, and i'm sure nick nurse would be in the same boat if he was in the same uh pre-draft presser as i was but in 2020 when they were doing all those pre-draft pressers virtually uh it was kind of a toss-up of is precious Achua going to try and become like a wing in the nba is he going to play like a small ball center what's it going to be because in his one season at memphis he was expected to be a power forward alongside James Wiseman, who ended up only playing three games. So then they had to move Achua over to, to center. But he had a lot of questions that he was fielding about, oh, you know, how's your three-point shooting developing, stuff like that. And then finally, someone asked him, are you going to be a wing or are you going to be a big in the NBA? And his answer was essentially, I'm going to be whatever you need me to be in the NBA. And that's the type of answer that Nick Nurse is going to be looking for. And I think, you know, it speaks volumes. And this is two years ago at this point, but 
I mean, the guy was planning on playing power forward, ended up playing a little bit on the wing, a little bit in, uh, at the center position in, at the college level and went on to win AAC player of the year. Like, it's not like he was like, you know, just kind of going through the motions. Like he ended up winning the player of the year award for the conference, just stepping into whatever role they needed him to fill. And I feel like that's something that, I mean, that type of, of adaptability and versatility goes a long way playing alongside the Raptors uh, and in that organization and alongside the other players that he's going to be playing with, because kind of like you were just saying, Gil and Scott, like it's, that's it. We're clearly headed in a certain direction here with the Raptors. Like, it seems like it's all about length and versatility. And can you switch one through five or, you know, can you switch multiple positions, defend multiple positions? And um, it really seems like that's the direction that the franchise is going in for the near future, which is exciting because that's a, a roster that Nick nurse can really coach to his strengths with. But I mean, so we talked about Lowry, we talked about the sign and trade. We talked about the players that they acquired uh, what we didn't talk about is the players that they didn't get in free agency. And Gil is some that you mentioned before we had hopped on that honestly had kind of slipped my mind until you even just mentioned it. But I mean, the Raptors did all these things to line up to make sure they had enough cap space to try and make a run at Giannis Antetokounmpo in free agency. And then he signed that max extension before the start of the season last year. And all of a sudden that, that plan kind of went out the window. So they had to start coming up with plan. You know, I mean, I guess at this point it would probably still be plan A's and plan B's because they had the whole season to plan for it. But at the same time, it didn't line up the way they expected it to. So it moved on to plan B's and plan C's and plan D's. And it didn't really seem like a lot of that worked out because really they just ended up re-signing guys that they already had. So what do you guys feel about uh, how the Raptors did in free agency? Otherwise, do you feel like they were still winners of free agency uh, just by bringing back some of the guys that they already had and getting back the players that they did for Lowry? Or do you feel like they were losers just because, you know, they missed out on guys like Scott, you had mentioned Lonzo Ball and Rashawn Holmes. Yeah, no, no, Scott, and you mentioned some of those guys, and and it's very clear that Rashawn Holmes got a got a bag to stay in Sacramento, and Lonzo Ball got a pretty big bag to to go to Chicago as well. And I think it's interesting because there's a certain there's certain ways to look at free agency, and obviously, you know, Sam Decker and Isaac Manga aren't guys who are going to you know jump off the page at you as veterans who are just kind of fighting for camp deals. But on the flip side, you know, it, it, the Raptors didn't have an offseason where they just gave guys money because they had money to give. So I think that. If they had done that, then maybe you could consider it to be like a, a big loss. I, I think anytime that, you know, the, the team is probably not as good as they were. No, the team isn't as good as it was at the end of the season. As far as talent goes, they're, they're not as talented. They, they lose Kyle Lowry. That's that's just the fact of the matter. But once you like kind of get through that, you know, first tier of free agents, and I think we had it on NBA.com, seven of the top 10 free agents we had ranked resigned with their franchises. So that was kind of a foregone conclusion. So when you look through it, it, it wasn't really anybody else that really stuck out um, for me, for me to call it, again, that big of a loss. I think the biggest loss that we've already touched on would be the return on the sign and trade. But again, that wasn't as big of a loss as it could have been. So, you know, the flip side of it is retaining your guys, you know, re-signing Gary Trent Jr. for an, a reasonable price. I think him getting $16 million baseline salary with a lot of incentives, um, bringing back Kim Birch, I think is huge for them. And, you know, those things, I think, are a good start uh, as far as things go. So I think that, if anything, I guess, you know, people say win, lose, or draw all the time. We're talking about basketball when there aren't draws in basketball. But honestly, it's not really a win or a loss. I would probably consider it to be a draw. And we have to see how things play out with, with the guys that they, that they decide to resign. I just think it's a tough question for me to answer because I feel like this is now like the third straight off season where the Raptors have just been kind of underwhelming in free agency. Obviously, in 2019, it was all about Kawhi Leonard. And it felt like the Raptors just had to sit and wait until Kawhi Leonard made his decision. At that point, you know, no one, it felt like, was available. So that they had limited resources. And then last offseason, it was all about Serge Ibaka and Mark Gasol. Um, and we saw how that went, you know, having to re-sign 
Aaron Baines. And it was a similar situation where like at that point of the off season, there just wasn't that many options for them. And, you know, Masai joked about it in his presser about how, you know, he was asked about the kind of the tampering, the NBA investigating the, uh, some tampering between the, the heat and the bulls and the signing trades and everything like that. And he made a joke about how surprising it is at 6.01 Eastern time PM. It seems like all these deals have already been agreed to when technically it doesn't open until that time. So it, it's really hard. Like you said, Gil, you know, seven of the 10 or whatever it was of the top free agents that we had signed or agreed to go uh, re-sign with their teams. You know, DeMar Rosen goes to Chicago and all that. Um, and once you remove those names from the list, like who else could the Raptors have really gone after? But I, I mean, I did have them as one of the teams that I thought was the most interesting going into free agency just because of, you know, the Kyle Lowry element. Um, is he going to get signed and traded somewhere else? What kind of return are the Raptors going to get? But also if he leaves, like that would have opened up. I think it was something like, like if Kyle Lowry left and they basically renounced everyone else, they could have opened up like $30 million in cap space. And, you know, what would they have done with that? So as I said, it, it is kind of a hard question for me to answer because I just feel like it's been three straight kind of underwhelming off seasons or free agents periods for the Raptors. And I think it's easy to make excuses, but it also feels like they could have done better. I guess that leaves us with, you know, the most pressing question that we probably have here today. And that is where does all of this leave the Raptors going into next season? I mean, obviously, you know, they had lost in game seven of the conference semifinals two years ago. And then last year, you kind of expect them to follow that up. But with probably one of the most bizarre individual seasons for a franchise in the history of the NBA, having to play completely out of your own country in a completely new you know, state and, uh, you know, all these different practice facilities and everything that went along with the COVID-19 season. Uh, it's tough to really kind of get an idea of what expectations should be for this team coming into next season. So I guess as a jumping off point, I looked it up before this, their over under win total for the upcoming season is 36 and a half. That kind of, that surprised me a little bit. It seemed like 41 in obviously, you know, 82 game season, 41 is about 500. That's 500 on the dot. That felt like that probably would have been a sweet spot for me. Uh, maybe we're a little bit more optimistic on them just because of how closely we do cover them and know the type of potential they could have when they play at their best. But I just want to know where you guys feel like all of this, the whole off season so far leaves the Raptors going into next year. Are they, you know, a team that should be fighting for the playoffs? Are they a team that should be fighting for the play-in or will they be back in the lottery next year? Kyle, you and I, before we hopped on this call uh, or started recording, you you mentioned that they're over under and you said you were surprised. And I said, basically, I, I have no idea what to <laughs> yeah. make of this team. Because I think even last year, right, like e even losing Serge Ibaka and Mark Sloan free agency, like I thought the one thing the Raptors could have hung their hat on was defense because they were one of the best defenses in the league the season prior. Um, and as important as Serge Ibaka and Mark Gasol were in that, I felt like they had, you know, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, all these guys returning. I thought they would still be a very good defensive team. And they ended up ranking 15th in defensive efficiency last season. So smack dab in the middle, um, which to me was a big disappointment. And I kind of think that like, you know, some of that could have been living in Tampa all year long. It was a weird season. Guys get injured. There was COVID-19 safety protocols, guys being in and out of the lineup, all these different things that contributed to, to them just having a really underwhelming season. So I do wonder going back to Toronto, you do have some continuity from the roster from last season. I do wonder if they will be more locked in defensively. I think having Ken Birch, he really proved himself like center was a problem for the Raptors last season. And the way that he played in the 15 to 20 games he was with them, bringing him back, I'm assuming he's going to start for them. I think that's going to help having someone you can kind of have at that five position that you can, can count on. Um, you know, OG Ananobi, I think we're, we're all expecting him to kind of make another leap. Fred Van Vliet, I think he, he he's proved he's 
improved every single year he's been in the NBA. He, I think he had like a sneaky case for All-Star last year. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he's knocking on that door again this year if he continues to improve. And then Pascal Siakam's a big one, right? Like we know he's going to miss the start of the season, season as he continues to recover from undergoing shoulder surgery. But if he's the guy who's, you know, I, I can't imagine him starting in the All-Star game anytime soon again. Like it, the NBA is just that loaded with talent. But if he's back into that, like we can write him down as an All-Star um, when he comes back from this injuries, that changes the outlook of this team completely. So, and then obviously you have the, the Goran Dragic element, the, the Scotty Barnes element. How good is he? What's he going to be able to contribute? Um, I've just talked about, rambled about five minutes on this team. And, but again, I, I really, I don't know what to make of them. Like I could see them maybe, you know, knocking on 40, 45 wins. I could also see them potentially winning like 30 wins. Like I, I just don't ha- I feel like I don't have a good grasp of this team at all. I think with, with Nick Nurse teams and specifically obviously the Raptors, but we've learned that always expect them to overachieve and that's happened last year. I think they were, they were, you know, obviously things that Kyle talked about, they were out of their control that really impacted them. But I think back to where they were mid February, fourth in the West, in the East 16 and 15 after those two wins over um, the bucks. And we were like, okay, this team has figured it out. And then that's when everything kind of went haywire for this franchise. And again, no more Lowry, but, the team is talented. They they know how to play well together. And if they can just buy in, which I think Nick Nurse is really good at getting his teams to do, I can see this team being, you know, maybe a somewhere between four, like between 40 and 44 wins. I think after that, I think is you know, maybe a, a little bit of a of an overshot. And maybe I'm just again, like we talked about, because we we follow them a lot, thinking highly of them. But again, there's nobody on this team that is as good as Chris Paul was with the Thunder a few years ago, but I can see them surprising teams in a similar manner. It's a lot of young talent, guys who know how to play well together, guys who can get after it, and teams, honestly, I think might underestimate the Raptors when they when they come to play them, and we know that Nick Nurse teams never take nights off, and they could be down as many as 25, 30 points, and they're not going to quit and give up. So all signs lead me to feel like this team is going to still have that same key attribute in their dna and if they have that then whoever they play against ha- can't take them lightly and, and the raptors i think can sneak a couple wins several wins actually uh, off of teams i think they can ride that to being you know a, a fringe i don't think they'll finish any higher than, than seven but i think this could be a very a very solid playing team and being back in toronto would obviously be mm-hmm. a huge help as well because i the other thing i was going to say is it does feel like the 2019-20 team overachieved and then the 2021 team underachieved so it's like what is that middle ground um and i feel like that's kind of going to be what this team is but um yeah absolutely like you going through that gila did remind me of it felt like there were a number of times in that season where the raptors had a comeback a big comeback in them i think that that huge one against the paces right that was the big one um the historic comeback but that that crowd i think is i mean we we all know at this point home crowd does have a lot to play into it so that's gonna you know rejuvenate this team a little bit as well i think I don't think that I'm like anywhere near somebody you should be taking any sort of gambling advice from, but it just feels like after the Raptors came out last year and went well under 500 at home, like 36 and a half wins seems low just because there are certain games the Raptors are going to win just being back in front of that home crowd. And I think it's going to be, you know, kind of punctuated even more this year just by the idea that 
they missed out all last year. Like, uh, you know, the North missed out all last year on being able to go to these Raptors games and, you know, cheer like crazy for this team that they love so much. And I mean, the sport's growing in Canada and it seems like the interest is growing and it feels like, you know, now this team is finally back in front of that home crowd. They're really going to feel like they can just kind of like will this team to victory on certain nights. And I feel like last year that was one of the biggest things where, you know, it was like, all right, maybe, they had a tough three game losing streak. And normally it'd be like, well, all right, they're coming back home to Toronto. They're playing this team. You know, even if it's a team, maybe they shouldn't beat like uh, that Utah jazz game. It kind of sticks out in my head as a game that they ended up losing. It was a close game at home and it came all the way down to the buzzer, but it's like, that's a game they probably win if they're actually at home, not in Tampa. So I feel like when you account for those type of games, just the games that, you know, you look at them on the schedule and you're like, all right, they're coming back from a tough road trip. Maybe they went one and two, but they're playing, even if it's a really good team at home, it could be someone as good as Brooklyn or Milwaukee or or the Lakers. It's like, you know, maybe they could still pull out a win just because they're going to be back at home, back in front of their home fans in Canada. So I do think that that's going to be one thing that really makes this interesting for the upcoming season. And it's going to make, you know, kind of really tough, kind of like you're saying, Scott, to figure out what this team is going to be until we actually see them on the floor. But I feel like once we see them on the floor, we might actually, you know, get pretty quickly, we might get an idea of what this team might look like. Um, I want to move on to what we think the starting lineup might look like once Pascal Siakam is healthy, because as we know, he had offseason shoulder surgery. He's expected to miss the start of the NBA season. It's supposed to cut into the beginning of the schedule. So we'll see when he actually gets back. There hasn't been any sort of update on that front yet, but I do want to see what you guys think is the best starting lineup for this team once he does get back in the lineup. And I know we wrote about this over on NBA.com and you can check it out over there. But I mean, there's a lot of options and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just trying to find the right pieces and figure out how they can fit in there. So I want to I want to hear what you guys have to say on what the starting lineup should look like once Pascal Siakam gets healthy. Well, you know, it's funny. We did this over on NBA.com, as you mentioned, and like it, it it's like an interesting exercise when you think about it, because you can say what we want. And we just talked about like what we expected from this team as far as wins go. But like the roster is talented and they're like eight ish starting caliber players on the team. Um, that being said, it was a little bit harder than I thought it was going to be to pick five guys. But I ultimately went with um, a backcourt of Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr., um, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Kim Birch at the five. I feel like Siakam, uh, OG, and Fred are, are the locks. They're the three uh, cornerstones of the franchise. Um, they're three of the four remaining members of the of the championship team, which is really crazy to think about because it wasn't that long ago that they won a championship. Um, you know, so those guys are around. They've been there. They, they're the guys who everything kind of, you know, starts with. Uh, like we mentioned it earlier on here. Gary Trenton Jr. is getting paid handsomely this year, and I don't think he's getting paid that that way to come off the bench. And I think not necessarily to the extent of, of Norman Powell night and day, but I think if you look at Gary Trent Jr.'s splits throughout his career, he's more efficient and he looks more comfortable as a starter. I think that is how you get the most out of him. And I think he also has, well, I know, he also has the reputation of sometimes taking bad shots. And I think if he isn't necessarily the first option in that lineup, he won't have as much room to just kind of take command of an offense, which he might be able to do in the second unit. And then for Kim Birch, I think he just provides some size. He's not necessarily as tall as a typical center, but, you know, as a role man, uh, as a rim protector, as the guy with good instincts, as a rebounder, um, and he's getting more comfortable within Nick Nurse's system. I think he has more levels he can tap into moving forward. I think that that is how you get the most out of those guys. And then it makes for uh, a three or four man second unit with Malachi Flynn, uh, Goran Dragic, Scotty Barnes, and Chris Boucher, which I think is a pretty good second unit too. So I think that's why I looked at it that way with the starters. 
and and Precious Achua, who I think yeah, Precious Achua, yeah. I think slides in pretty nicely next to uh, Chris Boucher in that front court because Chris Boucher we know loves to hang out on three point line um, and attack the rim for offensive glass, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, I, I had the same five as you, Gil. So instead of, I mean, I think you nailed it in terms of the same reasons that I kind of picked those five. Um, the only other plays that I gave real consideration to was one, Drogic. Like we've seen this Raptors team play Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet as their one and two over the last few years. Um, Drogic, as I already said, I feel like he can kind of fill in some of the role that Lowry did. So I actually think they play really well off of each other. But I do like the idea of Dragic coming off the bench because the Raptors had the worst, the lowest scoring bench second unit in the NBA last season. They averaged 30 points per game. That was dead last. And I think having a vet, a guy who can do so many different things in Goran Dragic, we already know he can play that role. I think him leading that second unit would goes a long way in kind of solving one of the biggest problems the Raptors faced last season. Um I gave Scotty Barnes a lot of thought as well, but I think offensively, it's just going to be too, it's just not going to work offensively, at least at the start of his career, playing alongside OG, Pascal, um, Fred, and Ken Birch. Like spacing, I don't think would be very good. So I, and again, I think playing in that second unit, getting up and down the court with Dragic, getting up and down the court with Achua, um, Malachi Flynn, I think that kind of suits him well. And I did give some thought to Precious Achua starting at center because we know the Raptors love him. Defensively, I think he's, everything they want in a big, but I do think he still has quite a bit of developing to do um, before he was a full-time starter. And I wouldn't be surprised. We already talked about our expectations for the Raptors team, but if we're a game like 50 or 60, and it's clear this Raptors team is not going to be in a position to compete for the playoffs. At that point, I wouldn't be surprised if Achua gets started, like starts over Ken Burch, because I do think he's someone they factor into more of their long-term plans. But at least at the start of the season, I do think it's probably going to be Van Vliet, Trent, OG, Siakam when he returns, um, and Birch. And I also just think Trent is more comfortable playing off-ball. Like, he's just more of an off-ball player to me mm. um, than Dragic and Flynn are. So I, I just think it, on both sides, I think it, the, the, the two-way balance of that starting unit makes sense to me and also the second unit. Um, Kyle, I know you, you disagree with both of us. Yeah, I, I had a different opinion, but I actually I'm going to be you know completely transparent when I say this, and I said this to you guys already earlier today. Like I, I just have completely forgotten about Goran Dragic being on the Raptors <laughs> at certain points of this offseason. Like I think that you know he the whole thing of him essentially saying he loose translation him not wanting to be there. Like it just kind of made in my mind made me think like oh he's not going to be there once the season starts, so you can just delete him out of your memory when he's very much on the roster, very much here. So when I did fill that out, I, I went with Scotty Barnes in a starting lineup alongside the other guys that you guys had said, uh, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Ken Birch. And I did that because of Barnes' ability to bring the ball up, initiate offense. It gives them a couple guys that can push the pace and transition and really set up the offense and, and get guys looks. But, you know, at the same time, now that you're talking about Goran Dragic being somebody that could potentially do that with the first unit, I think that's another thing that could work. Because as I was like really thinking through, I'm like, wow, you know, kind of getting obsessed with what a defensive lineup would look like of Van Vliet, Barnes, OG Pascal and Ken Birch, but then you kind of think of what a half court offense would look like and it gets a little uh, scary and eerie at, at times. So I'm not hundred percent sh sure or sold on the starting lineup that I had said. I do think it's something that would work, but another thing that kind of interests me a little bit is that it didn't really seem like Scotty Barnes is playing a lot of point guard in summer league. And obviously it's summer league. It's completely different, different team around him. It could be a completely different role, but it, it felt kind of significant to me that, I mean, like this is a guy who was literally you know, a team makes a basket in, at Florida State, someone takes the ball out of bounds and they're inbounding the ball to Scotty Barnes every time to bring the ball up the floor like a traditional point guard. So for him to, you know, I mean, there were still times where 
He had the ball at the top of the key. He's initiating offense, but it didn't really seem like they were as committed to making him, you know, a full-time point guard the way that I thought maybe they could have, if that's what they thought his potential was in the NBA. So it does make me think that there is a chance that maybe he is better off going to the bench with Gary Trent Jr. Starting into the starting lineup, sliding into the starting lineup. But I also kind of love the idea of Gary Trent Jr. Even though $54 million can be expensive for a six man of the year caliber player. I feel like that is something that he could strive for and really thrive in that setting. So I I did kind of like that idea for him, but at the same time, I mean, like I said, it's going to be half court offense would be scary. If you go Scotty Barnes in the starting lineup, at least for the first couple of years of his career, uh, as opposed to someone like Gary Trent Jr. or someone like even Goran Dragic or Malachi Flynn starting alongside Fred Van Vliet. So uh, I'm kind of toying back and forth what that starting lineup would look like, but Scott, to your point, I mean, the second unit scoring was atrocious last year. And I feel like no matter how you shape it out, once Pascal Siakam's healthy for this roster, that second unit will be a lot better offensively than they were last year. You know, I was kind of, Again, I'll take the loss on this one. I was kind of harsh on Nick Nurse for not giving Chris Boucher the chance to start last year once they were trying to figure things out at center. Yeah, you went alone. You went alone there. Yeah, A lot of people were. He was having such a good year, and I just felt like he should have been rewarded for it. But I also understand the aspect of, okay, well, they already had a pretty poor scoring second unit. And if you take him off of that second unit, you know, Ken Birch isn't getting that team, the second unit of that team, any better offensively. So it ended up working out for the Raptors. And Ken Birch, I think, has earned his keep as the starting center for sure. He played really well down the stretch last year. But it does kind of make me, um, you know, a little curious at what that second unit might look like and, and will they be able to, you know, help, help this team out and help them win some games. If they were to bring guys like Gary Trent Jr. Off the bench, as opposed to having him in the starting lineup. Um, but I mean, it's going to be a ways away before we see what that lineup looks like, or maybe it is, maybe it's not, we're not hundred percent sure yet at this point. One thing that we do know is come opening night, it is going to be a different starting lineup than we usually see because Pascal Siakam more than likely will not be a part of the starting, starting unit. So I guess before we move on to, Uh, you know, games that we're looking forward to in this season. Is there any, you know, kind of surprises that you guys think that fans should be expecting in the starting lineup come opening night? Or do you feel like it'll be something as simple as, you know, Scotty Barnes plays kind of similar to Pascal Siakam. So maybe we just give this rookie the shot at the start of the season to prove himself and then kind of figure things out after. My gut says Barnes. What do you, what do you say, Gil? Yeah, I feel, I feel like Barnes, you know, you drafted this guy number four to, to be that starting lineup. But I, I will say the, the the one thing is kind of a wild card is we know that Nick Nurse is, is is one to tinker with lineups and do things that we don't necessarily expect, which kind of applies to everything we were talking about with starting lineups. So in reality, the Raptors will probably have like 20 different starting lineups this year, not even because of injury. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think opening night, we'll see Scotty Barnes. I think the, the Scotiabank Arena crowd goes crazy because he's definitely embraced Toronto and Toronto's embraced him right back. So I think it'll be a pretty good sight to see him suit up against the uh, Washington Wizards. I will say I, I am excited to see the different lineups that he does roll out, though, because yeah. like, you know, they played small a lot last season. And some of that was out of necessity because, as I said, center was a real problem for them. But I do think you, we're going to see some Pascal, some OG and some Scotty Barnes, like those three in the front court together. We're obviously going to see a lot of a chewer next to those guys. And the havoc that they're going to wreak defensively, like it, it is going to be so much fun. And again, even something like Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Achua, um, you know, Fred Van Vliet can slide into that group as well. I, I've written a ton about him defensively. Like he, he was an all NBA type of defender last year. He's a guy who defends much bigger than his size. Like those five together offensively, again, a lot of it hinges on how Achua develops, how Scotty Barnes develops, even OG 
um, Pascal and Fred Van Vliet for that matter. But defensively, there's a lot of different variations this team can have next season. That's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, that switchability is scary. I'm going to say one, one more thing on, on the guys we talked about. Like we're mentioning guys who in the second unit and this and that, like Nick Nurse said it last year, a lot of guys in the second unit got a lot of opportunities. They just didn't make anything of them. They weren't very reliable. So I think that's the encouraging thing about the the rotation now. These guys are going to be more reliable. You can count on Goran Dragic hitting his shot. Scotty Barnes is a guy who came off the bench in college with six men of the year last year. So he's not unfamiliar with, you know, coming off the bench and being productive. So um, that is the encouraging thing about whoever it is that starts and whoever comes off the bench um they'll be more reliable than last year we're already getting excited about lineups we're already getting excited excited about nick nurse just you know tinkering and making all these little changes and how many different lineups can the raptors roll out and what's the versatility going to look like how are they going to score offensively it really feels like it you know the season is closer than it really is but we do still have a little ways away before we get to watch nba basketball underway again but i guess with that being said we did just have the schedule released last week uh, 82 game season. We're back to a full year. Uh, everything is kind of back in place with, you know, mid October start and the finals are going to be in June. And it seems like things are going to be spaced out properly instead of all right on top of each other. So I guess with that being said, when you looked at the Raptors schedule for next season, where did your eyes go immediately? I mean, I'm sure it's the Kyle Lowry return. I feel like that would be all of our answer. So I guess to take that out of the equation to take the Kyle Lowry return to Toronto, which is going to be highly anticipated. And I can't wait for that as well. If we take that out of the equation, was there another game on the schedule that jumped out to you guys that you're looking forward to? I mean, I can't believe I'm going to say the Orlando Magic here, but I, I am excited <laughs> to see Scotty Barnes go against Jalen Suggs. Obviously, we know what happened on draft day. Everyone thought Jalen Suggs was going to the Raptors at four. They switch things up, shock everyone by going Scotty Barnes and the rest is history. So I think it is going to be fun to watch them. I also like the Magic aren't going to be good next season. I think that's safe to assume, but I, I kind of like what they're doing. Like they've got some intriguing players on their roster, like Jonathan Isaac. I hope he comes back at full strength. Markel Fultz, like we only saw him what eight games last season, but he was, it seemed like he was starting to figure some stuff out. So, and, and Jalen Suggs, obviously a lot of people have him as, you know, a, a real candidate for like rookie of the year. Kyle, you can speak more about him, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a basketball nerd of me as well, but I, I I kind of am excited about that one. That also feels like something that I could watch two quarters of, and by the third quarter, I'm like, what am I doing here? It's Friday night, 9 p.m. What am I doing? But but that, I'm not going to lie, that one did kind of, my eyes gravitated towards that one. Real quick, Gil, before you go, I do want to say that the Orlando Magic are like a sneaky league pass team of the year this year. Like it yeah. feels, it's starting to feel that way. So that's why I was kind of getting excited when you said that. That was one that I had marked <laughs> on my schedule as well because of that matchup, but also because I do feel like the Magic are going to be a sneaky league pass team of the year this year. So Gil, sorry to cut you off. Where are you going with but this? I was going to say, it's, it's, it's the Magic Raptors rivalry that dates back to the first time they met in the, the playoffs. And then last year in 2019, <laughs> it, it's a rivalry. So now it, now it goes through and it's unlike some of those other draft rivalries, these guys will play three times or four times a year. So we'll see them against each other a lot throughout their career. Um, so anyway, but uh, in addition to that one, I, I had my eyes on a couple games. Um, I think a big return game that hopefully, fingers crossed, it all works out. December 28th, the Sixers are in Toronto. So Danny Green can finally get his championship finally. ring. He's won a championship ring in between then gotten it already. And he still doesn't have his Raptors ring. So I think that'll be a pretty fun one. Um, and on top of that, I think obviously the first game back, just the environment um, and, and what it's going to be like to finally see basketball in Scotiabank Arena is something that we've gotten used to just kind of watching that environment through uh, the TV and, um, you know, hearing the Let's Go Raptors chants, all that stuff, I think will send chills because Raptors fans have missed their team. And I think I know that their team has missed playing in front of their fans. So that'll be exciting. 
Yeah, that's the one that I had circled. And I was hoping that maybe that would slip through the cracks and I can be like, ah, you know which one you guys forgot? <laughs> Opening night. That's what, that's the one that I'm excited for because, I mean, like you said, you that crowd is so electric. And I feel like that's going to be one of those games where, and I'm going to compare this to, you know, the Knicks-Hawks uh, playoff game at Madison Square Garden, where like you're watching it on TV and it was one of the first times that it was like a sellout crowd since, you know, COVID and everything like that. And you kind of feel the energy through the TV. And I almost felt like I was watching like the fans court, like it was just so weird to see a packed arena again. I almost felt like I was watching the fans court side and in the stands and all that stuff more than I was actually watching the product on the floor. And it feels like that first game back in Toronto is going to have that same vibe where juice is going to be going, like the adrenaline is going to be through the roof, but I'm going to be sitting here like, you know, TV on full blast feeling like I'm in Toronto for the first <laughs> time in my life at Scotiabank Arena, uh, just watching the fans court side. So I mean, yeah, a lot of games to look forward to. It's going to be great seeing them back in Toronto. That It's going to be a lot of intrigue surrounding this team just because of how many questions there are surrounding this team heading into the season. But looking forward to watching it all play out. And uh, over on NBA.com, you'll be able to read up on everything going into the Raptors season. We'll have you covered with previews. We'll have you covered all the way through the preseason. We're going to have off-season workout stuff, and we're going to discuss lineups and all that, all those great things over on NBA.com, so you can check that out. Uh, for the Raptors Pod Table podcast, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. Get these in your feed every single time they drop to steal uh, Gil's quote there. But that's going to do it for us today. For Scott Rafferty, for Gil McGregor, I'm Kyle Irving. Catch you guys next time.